Hello and welcome to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg, where we embrace newcomers and experts alike to all things crypto, NFTs, and Web3. I am delighted today to have an incredible woman who I have admired and looked up to for so long in both her work in the corporate world as well as her work on the front lines of Web3. We had the opportunity to get to know one another over audio on Clubhouse during the pandemic, and uh, now we've gotten the chance to spend time in real life together as well. So with that, I want to introduce Swansit, who is a, a leader at the front of NFTs and Web3. Uh, she's been dubbed the queen of Clubhouse and is the former global head of digital marketing at Nike, Estee Lauder, and Revlon. She currently advises on strategy and marketing of NFTs and has hosted dozens of Web3 launches in her Clubhouse room. Swan, it's such a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, Randy. The admiration goes both ways. I learn from you all the time, so I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thank you so much. And I've loved having you on my SiriusXM show in the past. You've really uh, predicted a lot of what has happened in the Web3 space, which we'll get into. But I first want to start, since it's the Crypto Cafe, I wish we were together in an actual cafe. But in this virtual metaverse cafe we're in, what are you drinking? Set the scene. Well, I actually ventured outside my NFT Web3 cave today for some errands this morning, and I was able to pick up a matcha almond latte. So I'm indulging today for sure. Ooh, I love it. Uh, all right. So Swan, tell us, what are you currently focused on and excited about in Web3? I feel like you have your hand in so many things. So if you're excited about it, I'm going to get excited about it. What, what's <laughs> on your mind? I think it's the entire emphasis on the blockchain and how it's going to change how we live, work, and play. We can get really excited about projects or sectors, but blockchain as a technology is going to fundamentally change everything. You and I play in the PFP and NFT space, maybe a little bit of art, but I think the utility, not utility in terms of like a PFP roadmap, but actual utility, things like birth certificates or medical records, authentication of art or luxury goods, counting ballots, I think those are equally as important. So what excites me is actually the entire base technology, anything that needs to be authenticated or traceable or universally accessible and unhackable, that's up for grabs in Web3. So while we might play in different mini sectors of it, I think the overwhelming excitement is around this technology that's going to game change data and ownership. Absolutely. Now, um, this, I mean, your leadership at the front of Web3 is a very exciting second chapter for you. You already had an incredible first chapter in business, um, leading incredible brands like Nike, Estee Lauder, Revlon. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your journey and what was the aha moment that inspired your, your interest in Web3? I think to understand how I entered Web3, it's probably interesting to understand how I even entered being a creator because going from corporate to creator is not very common. And I spent my life in the corporate arena and I loved it. I learned a lot. I arguably did well as the head of digital marketing for Nike, Revlon, Lauder, like you said. I left the corporate world a few years ago and I started sitting on public company boards, which is great. The average age is 63. So to be on that, um, on that stage was really nice because now you can actually shepherd the future of a company from above the executive levels. I fell into Clubhouse because we were locked away in a pandemic. My best childhood friend, Parl Singh, is like, you should try this. You'll probably enjoy talking to people. And when I joined, it was like 30 people on Clubhouse. There was no rooms or stages. It was just people hanging out. And it turns out, because I like to mentor and help people, 
that resonated. So I started accumulating followers, but my own social media was private at the time. So for me to then kind of from, let's say May, 2020 to December in those seven months, going from zero to a hundred thousand followers was an interesting wake up call. And then from December of 2020 to May of 21 and another five months, I went from hundred K to 3 million. And that trajectory not only changed my life and to your point, gave me a second career, but it opened my aperture to curiosity. Because when you go to a conference or you go to an online seminar, you're very focused and have already chosen the field you want to talk about. Clubhouse, you would wander the rooms and the hallway, you'd have one room about astrophysics, one room about COVID, one room about um, Florence literature from the Renaissance. It was the most random assortment of topics. And so my curiosity is actually what put me in, I think, a good place to understand what NFTs could do. Because around last winter, on uh, in 21, people started buzzing about NFTs. And because we were all connected to the app 24 seven, we all learned as a group collectively together. And so not only was my aperture for curiosity broader at that time to intake new ideas, we were also learning together, right? And there's something about that journey where you help each other win together that makes it really powerful. So for me, I just kind of rode the adoption wave and I don't think NFTs would be where they are without Clubhouse in that moment. Um, but a lot of us who grew up learning at that time together are now builders and influencers and creators in the Web3 space. And I think we owe that all of that to Clubhouse. So my curiosity was just like, wow, digital assets. I've been in digital marketing the whole time, but we never owned anything. Imagine then if you could claim ownership of art, music, birth certificates, things of that sort. That's what piqued my curiosity. And I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Okay. I want to get into um, some of the NFT drops and launches you've hosted in Clubhouse in a second. But before we go into that, I just want to know in general, what are some of the most interesting rooms or people that you've hosted? Um, I hosted Paris Hilton a couple of times and she's just an incredible human. So such rich life experience. One room was about her documentary and her time at her high school, which had abusive practices and having her document that journey with us in such a vulnerable, intimate way was game changing to how you see her, not just to her sharing her story, but now she's changed laws in Utah. And she was in DC a couple of weeks ago, changing national law. So that intimate of a view of someone, definitely one of my favorites. Her first NFT launch we hosted, also one of my favorites. Having Edward Snowden and Platten do their NFT launch with us, also huge. I mean, to have access to Edward Snowden is insane. And he was in a clubhouse with us. Um, Floyd Mayweather, him talking about growing up and how he saw the world, which is what drives him to his boxing career. These intimate stories, I just realized it's a curiosity, yes, about NFTs, but it, the baseline is a curiosity about people. So those moments are epic. And sometimes they turn real because one day I was in a room with Tom Green. D Nice stumbles in, who's a friend. Tom Green freaks out. So I bring these D-Nice up and I introduce them. And it turns out that D-Nice um, has, you know, he's been doing music for a long time and Tom Green's been a fan for decades. So I joke that maybe they could drop a single together and, you know, launch it on Clubhouse. The next day in Rolling Stone, they published that, hey, Tom Green and D-Nice might do a collab thanks to Clubhouse. And so, you know, the amount of people who flowed through that I've met and built relationships with is insane, but also the hilarity of something that's mentioned late night in a room when we're all sleep deprived and that shows up in Rolling Stone. The next day, we're living in a different era. Absolutely. Okay. So now let's go to the NFT launches. Uh, first of all, I mean, what does it even mean to host an NFT launch or drop in Clubhouse? And uh, maybe you can give us an example. That's such a good question because I think people skip right over it. So much of these NFT projects, especially the PFPs, the profile photos, 
you have to actually do a fair amount of marketing. It's not like when you buy an iPhone, you've got a phone in your hand. Technically, you've got a JPEG and the potential value is based on things that might come, e.g., you know, they call it a lot of roadmap and utility, like access to parties or merchandise and things of that sort, Um, or the community, feeling included in a community like a membership. But those things are not apparent up until the launch of the project or even a couple of months in. So what a lot of these projects do is they host rooms in social audio spaces, Clubhouse, Twitter spaces, so you can actually explain what the project is, right? Because a tweet with a limited amount of characters doesn't give the rich idea of what the project is or what its future intentions are. So imagine like you and I are on a podcast now, but imagine if there's a room full of people listening, but they can come up and dialogue with us. That's kind of the magic formula it took because I think NFTs are difficult to understand if you're not already in the game. But even if you are, understanding what utility you might get down the road, it takes like human interaction and personal touch. So when hosts have projects, they leverage their audience to bring more awareness to that project. And if the project resonates, they gain a whole bunch of new followers and possibly even buyers. That's kind of how the formula is gone. Who knows what's to come? So, okay, I, I want to dig into this just a little bit more because you are just the, I think, the leading expert in the world right now on, on doing these kind of launches and on audio as, as a medium of marketing. Um, what have you seen that's most successful or what have you seen that just doesn't work at all? Like, don't waste your time with? Project intention doxed founders, an actual roadmap, not just the utility roadmap where you might get, like I said, perks, but roadmap for the business, I think is really important. And in a bear market, it's more important than ever. So understanding who your founders are and what they're going to deliver and how they'll grow the business, I think is table stakes now. I think we forgot about it for a little while when the flips were super hot, but I think the fundamentals are coming back into importance and it can't happen fast enough. Beyond that though, sometimes people open a social audio space and just hang out. And I think that for building community and for hangout spots, there's something to be said for that. You need that on a very consistent level. But what I think sometimes projects fail to realize, and the reason why I have a job in this, is when I actually host a project, I do a lot of diligence. I learn about the founders, their background, all the things that we just talked about that I think are important. Then I actually create our communication strategy. Then I build a run of show then we launch the room. I don't open it and hang out. There's actually a comm strategy, a run of show, and then the actual room. So you know this, anything that looks perfectly casual on the front end, you've got people like furiously paddling under the water backstage to make things look seamless. I treat these social audio spaces like that too. It's a show. It doesn't mean everything's scripted, but I do have say my intros written where I highlight the unique properties of that project and why it actually should matter. And then I have probably seven to 10 questions that the client is aware of that I'll broach into so they can prepare the right responses. So it's not like we script every word, but if you've got certain milestones to hit in selling attributes, that's the difference between, you know, there's a room I hosted and then somebody, I was walking to the market in Dubai and someone came up and said, are you Swan from Clubhouse? And I was like, how did you recognize me? My my picture is like an inch by an inch. And he said, no, I've been listening to your rooms for a long time. And he's like, number one, I know with NFT launches, you vet everything. So if you're bringing a project to us, you've already vetted it, you trust in it. It's not a guarantee it'll succeed, but you've done the diligence. 
But secondly, he's like, I really like your analysis on it. And so much so that there's one project I hosted a couple of weeks before we met each other in Dubai. He minted $50,000 worth of that project, which just made my heart skip a beat. I'm like, oh my God, I hope you made money on it. But I think my approach to it, because of my corporate background and running brands and community, it helps conversion. And of course, like I said, I don't take on any work that I don't truly believe in myself that I wouldn't purchase with my own funds myself. So that's already part of the diligence, but shaping it as if you would sell a Nike sneaker or a Revlon lipstick, that's actually what we should be bringing to the space. Not just like hangout degen night rooms. Those are fun. But if you don't have a good marketing strategy, people don't understand what you're selling. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've always been so impressed by the research you do, the thoughtfulness you put into everything. I think it definitely makes you stand apart from from everyone else. And it takes a lot of work behind the scenes to appear so effortless as you do. So I uh, hats off to you in every way, Swan. For anyone who is just uh, tuning in, uh, I'm so delighted to be here with Swan Sit, who's an incredible thought leader and expert in NFTs and Web3. She has been dubbed the queen of Clubhouse and is the former global head of digital marketing at Nike, Estee Lauder, and Revlon. You're listening to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg here, where we embrace all things crypto, NFTs, and Web3. Um, so Swan, I'm, I'm curious, you must have your, your friends and connections from kind of the corporate world, and now you have your Web3 world. Um, what, what did people think from the corporate world when you started to really go head on into Web3? There were some raised eyebrows because there's still preconceived notions of crypto being about Silk Road and black markets. But I just spend that time educating. I mean, web one, we were trying to convince people to buy things online. Web two, we were trying to convince people that social is not just about seeing what the influencer was eating for breakfast, but it's humanity and connectivity. And so for people who said they never buy anything online, I remind them, well, how many times did you get into an Uber this week? A stranger's car that you ordered on the internet, right? And so yes, while there's raised eyebrows, especially because I'm on public company boards, I take the time to explain not the PFPs, that's just a quick entry point because the flip, the ability to make money quickly is so alluring. A lot of people have entered that way, either through the profile photos or collectibles and art, but the implications of blockchain are much deeper. So if somebody from the corporate world comes to ask me, I usually use a supply chain example. So for example, at Nike, right, we had thousands of factories all over the world and a very vast distribution as well as retail network. It was impossible to track. So I said, imagine if we put an NFC chip, the same technology that we use for Apple Pay in each shoe. Then I know which factory it was created in, who worked on it, what truck it got shipped through, the boats, et cetera. So accounting, LIFO, FIFO becomes much easier and tracking your products. If something fell off the back of a truck and ended up being sold out of the trunk of someone's car in a back alley, you know exactly where things went wrong. But beyond that, a lot of times people don't buy direct from the retailer. Revlon, we buy at grocery stores and drugstores. Nike, you could buy through Foot Locker or resellers. The manufacturer has no idea who that consumer is. And so if you're going to Foot Locker down the street to buy all your Nikes, you might be one of the most valuable customers. And Nike has no idea who you are because Foot Locker, of course, is not going to share your customer data. They could lose you. But if Nike has the ability to track that shoe, I could look in a wallet and say, hmm, this wallet has 30 pairs of rare Jordans in it. These people might have bought them aftermarket or through retailers. They're a great potential customer that I could have a relationship with. So let me airdrop something into the wallet and let them choose to dialogue with me. 
So I think the entire um, power center is about to shift from brands pushing outward to consumers owning their data and having choice, right? Because right now, all of our data is owned by companies that sell it. But arguably, Netflix knows what you watch, Uber knows where you go, Amazon knows what you buy, but they're incomplete pictures of who we are. The best is maybe your credit card, but your Web3 wallet, which could be not only the NFTs you buy, it could be your your birth certificate, your voting history, it could be um, your retail purchase history, that's all in your wallet under your control. And you could actually partition or divide it up into any slices you want, but it's now up to the brands to earn the right for us to disclose who we are. And I think that's a major power shift of consumers. And I think also any middlemen now are at risk because Nike does these sneakers app drops every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific. It's the hottest shoe drops. And generally people are on multiple devices waking up at 7 a.m. on Saturday, most of the time, 98, 99% of the time, not even getting a chance to buy the shoe. It's all the hot drops. So a lot of times, if you have means, you don't wake up at 7 a.m. on six devices trying to get the shoe. You buy it for maybe two, three X the price a few hours later on an aftermarket reseller like Goat or StockX. Again, Nike has no idea who you are, but if they saw those NFTs in the wallet and they knew that you bought the rare shoes, they could build that relationship. Those companies, all these middlemen who arbitrage and make money either off our data or off our, our access are now having to rethink our business models. So when there's a raised eyebrow and they immediately ask about Silk Road or they can't touch it, I go through these examples. And those are the ones that hurt their business the most, the lack of data, not tracking product. So if we can present a way to solve for the most painful points in the business, you have, you have the companies in. Like, in fact, so many of them are excited to learn the space, not necessarily as a collectible, although I think CRM is really prime for this as well, but even supply chain and distribution, it is game-changing. Absolutely. Wow. What, what great examples. And um, so, so easy to understand when you explain it that way too. Um, Swan, I've had the privilege of chatting with you on my radio show in the past. And um, I, you know, you really almost are the oracle. You you really described back in December 2021 what was going to happen with the Web3 market. You talked about how the market was a little overly hot at that moment. It was probably due for a downturn and how the downturn would actually be important for defining the next phase of tech development. So I'd love to maybe you can talk a little bit about where you see Web3 right now, and maybe you have a little oracle wisdom for us on where you think it's heading. Well, I, were, I wish I were smart enough to be an oracle, but this is where I think my corporate background makes sense because it's understand macroeconomics, understanding macro. I just looked at the marketplace and saw all these 10,000 piece collections launching every day. That's a lot of volume. And you don't make money in this space unless somebody purchases it for more than you paid for it, right? As much as we love our JPEGs, there's no underlying asset value there. So predicting the crash was just being able to step back and saying supply is outpacing demand, which is a very macroeconomic discussion. And when there's not enough people buying what's being sold, price falls. And if it happens that quickly, it crashes. And so, you know, I, I hate being right, but... Um, it was a reset that we needed because the market fundamentals were being built on the wrong things. It was about short-term financial gain and not long-term longevity and solutions. And so while the crash is something I wish didn't happen because I think it wrecked a lot of people, I think it was imminent. And out of this, I think we will build better fundamentals. 
after every crash, we get rebirth and hopefully a rebuilding of fundamentals. Dot-com crashed in 2001. After that, we got Google. We got Facebook, right? 08 mortgage crisis. After that, we got Uber, Airbnb. So I think when crashes happen, you have a few things. Number one, the builders start building and the builders stay. It separates, you know, because a rising tide lifts all boats. So it's easy to be in this space when everyone's making money. When it's in a bear, who stays and who continues building are your leaders for that next wave. Mm. Number two, we get smarter about market dynamics. You start understanding supply, demand. You start understanding how NFTs peg to crypto and how crypto pegs to fiat. We still don't have any idea how that actually works, but we're more careful because we're not buying out of FOMO. We're actually thinking about longer term sustainability of the industry. So while it's been a painful time, and I think it will continue to be painful for quite a bit, it's actually a good time to rebuild and actually think about solutions, not hype. For sure. Uh, Swan, I'd love to get to know you a little bit by understanding what's in your wallet. I think you can really get to know people in Web3 by, by seeing what they own. So what are a few of the favorite things that you're holding in your wallet? I truly believe in Web3 equity, but I think we need to push to get there. Because as much as we say, wag me, crypto is still 81% male and NFTs are 95% male. That is nowhere close to the percentage of population of women and non-binary people that need to be in this space. So I focus a lot on the margins and projects that focus on educating people at the margins. So really proud to be a founding member of BFF, really proud to be a holder of HUG, your project, and any others that really prioritize democratization. Because like I said, we only make money if we sell things to people for more than we paid. I think that's a really bad way to look at the industry. But if you think about democratization, you can do it out of altruism because it's the right thing to do. It starts actually creating a more equitable playing field for people. But if you don't do it out of altruism, do it out of self-preservation because we're going to run out of people to sell these things to. Or if we have to convert crypto back to fiat every time, it's just a security. So if you're not democratizing out of altruism, do it out of self-preservation. So holding projects that prioritize bringing people at the margins in is a super high priority to me. Mm. Boss Beauties is another one that's similar, right? Different, um, slightly different angle, but female focused. But all the PFPs are, are professions that little girls can dream to be. I probably would have been an aerospace engineer if I'd seen people like me go work for NASA. So I think having a PFP in a community is great. Amazing icing on top is inspiring the next generation of leaders. Um, so that array of stuff, I mean, a doodle, my doodle was my first big purchase. You'll never forget your first NFT and you'll never forget your first big purchase. And up until then, I think I only minted stuff for less than 0.15. My, my doodle was 1.8 at the time, ETH. That was like seven or $8,000. That was a huge jump. So regardless of what it's worth now, which luckily it's actually done really well. So it's more than you know 10X value or whatever. I'm not going to sell it because that was my decision to enter the space and be bullish about it enough to spend thousands of dollars on it. So for me, that's actually a very nostalgic milestone that I decided to believe in the future of this economy. I so there's a, there's a fun array, but there's hundreds in there. And I've only ever sold two because I believe in the space long term. Um, two just made sense because I had duplicates, et cetera. It circulated money back into the economy for both the project holders as secondaries, but other people who wanted to participate. 
but yeah, I have, I have hundreds and I've only ever sold two. So there's a lot in there. <laughs> For sure. And I definitely encourage everyone to go check out Swan's amazing collection. Uh, we love Boss Beauties. I wish I had bought a doodle. So th- those are great ones. And I have to say over a, a lunch in New York City, you introduced me to uh, the Adam Bomb Squad uh, very early on. That's been a great collection. And I just got to interview the founder on stage. And so I, I really owe a lot of that to you. Um all right. Any any legacy brand or that you'd love to revitalize or any dream collaboration that you have in the back of your mind when you think like who you'd love to work on an NFT collection with? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, first, it's interesting because I think brands and celebrities getting into the space got a lot of pushback originally. Um, people would say they're not Web3 native. They're not in it for the right reasons. You know, I don't think everyone's done it right, but I think the intention has generally been good. The funny thing is that in a bear market, guess who we turn to? It's brands and celebrities because they're doxxed. They're not going to rug you. And if they're putting their name on something, you're probably going to be able to track them down when they underdeliver. So I think it's actually a great time for brands to come in. I hosted Adidas and Board Apes and Punk's Comic and G Money for their Twitter space um, for the launch of Into the Metaverse. And that was an honor to see a big company moving in. Um, I think Adidas with Prada was interesting. Adidas with other brands, I think the mashup of multiple brands in the metaverse world is interesting because in order to do mashup of physical brands, you're talking about massive supply chain and manufacturing changes. To do it in the metaverse, collapse could happen all day. And the reality is like you and I probably have 15, 20 brands we like, but in the physical world, we have to choose one at a time. Who's to say that, you know, um, an Adidas shoe could not be merged with a NASA design or something like that. I mean, it's easy to think Adidas and Prada, but NASA design or uh, Tesla. And I think the, the creativity is about to blow open. So I don't think there's one brand that I would want to come in. I would want to see the most interesting mashups of brands. Like if Tesla were to design an interior with, you know, Oscar de la Renta, mm. what would that car look like? And it's probably going to be my car in the metaverse, right? It's going to be fast, but stylish. And it's probably going to make sense when I wear my massive Oscar de la Renta ball gown into my car. Like it's going to fit because in real life, by the way, I've tried that once. And I was like, oh, <laughs> If you actually wear one of those cupcake poofy ball gowns, you can't actually get in a car. So I think the mashup is actually what's going to be really fun. But um, I'm excited about brands offering utility and loyalty perks. Um, that's not the flashy stuff. It's not going to be the celebrities. But if I'm loyal to a brand, I want to be rewarded, not just for purchases, but for advocacy and behavior. So any brand that kind of moves with me, whether it's a credit card like an Amex or a Visa or United, Right? I'm actually excited for them to come in because this is the new way of updating loyalty programs. They only reward me for the things I buy. Shouldn't you also reward me for when I advocate for you, when I recommend you, or certain types of behaviors that you're more high value for than others? Because not all purchases are created equal. So you know, maybe like I should get more points if I actually sign up for um, an auto-subscribe for a product. Like why wouldn't Amex want to reward me for that. They just don't have the trackability to do stuff like that now. But if I did sign up for an NFT project or a concert series, anything that's recurring revenue or shows a loyalty, I think the intersection of the payment structures with the brands, with the experiences, that's super interesting too. So I think, you know, the sky's the limit. It's whatever people want to co-create. First of all, I want that car. I want that Tesla with the Oscar de la Renta. (laughs) Second of all, any brand who's listening 
should just have their ears wide open and should be reaching out to you to work with you. And speaking of that, Swan, our final moments together, how can people work with you and where can they reach you? I love advising. I operated for a long time in a lot of these companies and doing digital transformation, you're in the trenches. It's hand-to-hand combat, not only of building the technology, it's almost like being an entrepreneur within a big company, but influence, changing people's minds. For example, at Estee Lauder, we had to set up a reverse mentor program because we understood the power of e-commerce. In fact, Clinique launched its first e-com site in 1997. But in 2010, we were still trying to convince executives to come onto e-com, to come onto social, because it wasn't natural behavior for them. So we did a reverse mentor program where millennials at the time who were like 21 to 25 would reverse mentor the senior executives in the company, teaching them Facebook, teaching them how to post on Instagram, teaching them the difference between a like, a retweet, et cetera. So things like that. I mean, I really enjoy taking what I've learned being in the trenches of digital transformation for decades into the new type of transformation. Like we went from web one to web two, now we're transitioning web two to web three. So if I can be helpful to companies as a consultant or advisor, I love that work because I've kind of done it all at this point and helping them figure out the prioritization of education versus execution is one of the first things I always do. But also, like I said, we can do so many things using blockchain. Are we going to revamp supply chain? Are we going to think about ownership of digital assets, or are we thinking about customer data, loyalty, and CRM? All of them are primed for rebranding and revisiting with blockchain, but where do you start? So, I mean, that's that's my joy, right? To spread the knowledge I have as broadly as possible, consulting or advising as they go through their journeys, matching them with NFT platforms, tech providers, artists. I just want the space to build. I think that we're starting to see technology innovation faster. We don't resist it for as long anymore. So I think the early movers in the brand space, especially during a bear market, are the ones that are really going to build for longevity because they've got the audience, they've got credibility, they've got budgets and reach. If they build it right, this is the chance where the early brands will win favor with that NFT community. Love it. Swan, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can our listeners find you on Clubhouse, Twitter, or anywhere else that you spend time? Twitter and Instagram are both SwanSit, all one word. SwanSit.com is my website, and I'm Swan on Clubhouse. Fabulous. Well, I always learn so much. I can't wait till we can sit and have a matcha almond latte in real life together. And Swan, you are just truly the best. Thank you for joining us in the Crypto Cafe today. Thanks for having me, Randy. And a kudos to you from that early conversation where we were talking about atom bombs to how you've just rocket shipped with your leadership and your thought leadership in the space. I'm just so impressed on what you continue to build every day. Thank you. Well, it's it's women working together. So uh, looking looking forward to, to taking on more together. Amazing. That was Swansit, NFT Web3 advisor, the creator Forbes dubbed queen of Clubhouse. You're listening to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. Tune in next week for a brand new episode on all things Web3, crypto and NFTs.